Well, this morning I'm continuing in a summer sermon series I'm calling The Power of One Life, looking basically at minor biblical characters, someone I could preach on in one Sunday. Uh, some names you've heard before, some names you have not heard before. This morning we're going to look at the life of a man named Asaph, A-S-A-P-H. Some of you may have heard of him, some may not. He only shows up in 45 verses in the Bible, um, but most of those verses are in the context of the Psalms because he was one of the major writers of the Psalms. Bible does not tell us much about him other than he was a recorder, which does not mean he played the recorder. It means he was an archivist in the temple, uh, and he was also a percussionist. So he was a percussionist, a writer of songs, the Phil Collins of his day for those who lived through the 80s. Uh, and one example of where we hear about him is here. Asaph was to sound the cymbals, okay? So he is a percussionist. He's writing psalms. And what I want to do this morning is look at one of the particular psalms that he wrote, which is Psalm 73, where he confesses his struggle with envy and his doubt of the goodness of God and how God helped him to deal with that. So we're going to read together. Uh, I'll read. You can read along. Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Here we go. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued, I have been punished every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes... So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This is God's word. Let me pray before we continue. Lord, at this time we come and we ask that you would please open our ears to hear and open our hearts to understand what this means. Just bring revelation to us, to our lives, how this applies, Lord, to our lives. May your spirit search our hearts and reveal what is in there and bring 
Lord, more of your reality, more of your truth to bear in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me put into my own words what Asaph seems to be experiencing here in Psalm 73. And then we'll talk about how he deals with that problem of envy and then how that can apply to our lives today. This is what I hear him saying. Okay, I know that God is good. I know it. I I mean, I know know he's good. I know he loves us. I know he's faithful to his people. I, I know all of that. But when I look out in the world, what I know in my head does not seem to be matching what I see with my eyes. Because I know God is good and I know he loves his people. I know he's faithful to Israel. But I look out in the world and what I see is that those who don't care about God seem to be doing just fine. Thank you very much. They seem to have nothing wrong and no problems and they get wealthier and and they don't seem to get sick. And then here I am and here we are and we're trying our best to follow God and it just doesn't seem like things are going our way. And I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with the fact that what I know in my head does not seem to match what I see with my eyes. Have I been doing this in vain? Has it been for nothing? All this devotion, all this dedication, all this trying to be pure and trying to follow God, is it for nothing? Doesn't seem to be paying off with having a better life. I know God is good. At least I think God is good. I'm just not sure anymore. And I just don't know if living for him is worth it. My brain hurts just trying to make sense of all of this. That's what I hear him saying in the first half of this psalm. Can anyone relate? These are the things I know in my head. These are the things I've been taught. These are the things I've read about God and who he is and what he's done and what he's promised. And yet I look out in the world and I just feel like it doesn't always match up. It doesn't line up. It doesn't seem to always be a straight line or a causal relationship between following God and having that blessed life, experiencing the blessings, the joy, the peace, the love that I've read so much about. And it is hard sometimes not to envy those who really don't care about God, who just live their lives, aren't concerning themselves with whether or not there's a God or what it means to follow him. They're just living their lives, and it's hard sometimes not to envy them. Again, as he says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I mean, here you are on this beautiful Sunday morning here in church, right? While your friends are out jet skiing on the lake. They're not worried about coming to church. They're out having a great time. I mean, there was always pressure to keep up with the Joneses, but now that we have Facebook and Instagram, it's the Joneses and the Smiths and the Johnsons and everyone else who just seems to be having a better life than us. Keeping up with their lives and their loves and their perfect families. And they're gorgeous houses. And here you are trying your best to follow God and sacrifice and live pure. And they just seem to be living for themselves and it seems to be going fine. Remind me again why I'm here and why I'm doing what I'm doing and why I'm following God. 
again, he says, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. If I had said I would speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. That phrase in vain suggests that it's not accomplishing the desired results here. I'm following God. I'm serving him. And yet it doesn't seem to be accomplishing the results. I don't seem to be experiencing the blessings that are promised. I'm not experiencing the love and the joy and the peace. Is this in vain that I've kept my heart pure, that I've washed my hands in innocence? Maybe, maybe you're single. Maybe you're trying your best to honor the Lord. And yet God has not saw fit to bring someone into your life. Maybe you're trying your best to be moral and ethical at work. To follow the rules. And yet you see people around you who really don't care so much about morality and ethics and they seem to be advancing beyond you. Maybe you're trying your best to stay faithful in a difficult marriage. To pray for your spouse. To do your best to change. And yet, it doesn't seem to be having much of an impact. They're not changing. They're not treating you with respect. And all of your devotion seems to be in vain. And underneath all this question is this this nagging question. Is God really good? Is God really there? Is God really true to his promises? Or is this all one big fat lie? Because it seems to be in vain that I'm doing all of this. And I look out at those who don't care about God, and they seem to be, be doing just fine. I mean, I believe that God is a healer. But my loved one still died of cancer. And I, I hear that God answers prayer, but I've been praying for this situation for years and seen nothing change. And I know that God is protector and God is defender, but I still feel like I'm dealing with all kinds of injustice. And I know his God is provider, but just doesn't seem to be providing for me. And this guy right here, Asaph, is a worship leader in Israel, writer of Psalms, working in the temple. And he says here, if I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. He's recognizing this tension that what he's feeling inside, he's afraid to bring it out because people look up to him as a worship leader in the temple. And if he he voices these doubts, what's that going to do to his children? What's that going to do to the other people who look up to him if he voices these doubts? But you know, when you look through the Bible, Asaph's not alone. I mean, this goes all the way back to the beginning. All the way back to the beginning. Adam and Eve in in the garden, right? And what does the serpent say? Did God really say that? Did God really say not to eat, that you'd die if you eat from that tree? Way back in the beginning... In paradise, they're doubting the goodness of God. They're doubting that God is really going to be faithful, is really good, that he's not holding back on them. In paradise, what chance do we have here? It's always been this way. It's always been this way, struggling to walk by faith and to trust in the goodness of God. And he says, when I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me. When I tried to understand all this, my brain hurt. It is hard. It is hard sometimes to know this is what I I know. This is what I've been taught. This is what I believe. This is what I've read. But when I look out in the world, 
when I look out in the world, it just doesn't seem to be lining up with what I've been taught. And then I look at people who don't care about God, don't follow God, and I get envious. I get jealous. I say, maybe I should just chuck it all and just do what they do because they don't care about God and life seems to be going just fine. And envy can make us grow bitter and angry and steal our joy. As it says in Proverbs 14.30, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Now, thankfully, it's not the end of the story. This is about halfway through the psalm so far, and, and Asaph is feeling oppressed. He's struggling to understand it. He's doubting God's goodness. But then something happens to change things in verse 16. He says, when I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me until, until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. So something changes in verse 16 when he enters the sanctuary and he gains a new perspective. And what I want to do is just talk about the the perspective change that he has. There's three perspectives that he gains when he enters the sanctuary that I think will help us in our envy and our struggle to doubt God's goodness. First is this. He gains an eternal perspective. As you read the psalm, you notice that it goes from they, to I, to you. You know, it starts with him looking out in the world and seeing what everyone else seems to have that he doesn't have. And he, then he looks at himself and he compares and he gets envious and he gets angry and he gets doubtful of God. But then he enters the sanctuary and he looks up and he looks at God and he's reminded of who God is and what he's promised. And it brings him peace. It brings him the bigger picture, the greater eternal perspective He realizes that this world is not all there is. This world is not all there is. This world is not all there is. He gains an eternal perspective. There is life after death. There is life eternal. There is a God outside of what your eyes can see. There is eternity. There is a judgment. There is a heaven. There is a hell. This world is fading away, he realizes. It's slippery ground. But you can't keep anything in this world. Yes, you can have the jet skis, but you can't take them with you. Yes, you could have the job, but you're not going to have the job forever. Everything in this world is fading away. It's slippery. The writer of Ecclesiastes said it's like chasing after the wind, trying to grab things that you can't hold on to. But he says, but you're always with me, God. And in the end, you'll take me to glory. As it says in Isaiah, let me see if I can find Isaiah 40. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. And surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God stands forever. 
The fact is that in the short term, anything can seem evil and unjust. You look out with your eyes and you can't understand and you compare. And in the short term, the temporal perspective, it's hard sometimes to make sense of things. But God is working long term. God has an eternal perspective. That there are sometimes God seems absent or unloving in the short term, but the big picture is that God is good and he is always present and he is always working for our good. And when the things of this world fade away, God will be here forever. So do not trade in God for the jet skis, for the big house, for anything else in this life. Mark eight thirty five to 36. This is how Jesus put it. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world? yet forfeit his soul. Again, what good is it for you to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? When he enters the sanctuary, he gains an eternal perspective. This life is not all there is. And things that might seem unfair, unjust, this side of eternity are not necessarily that way. What good is it for a person to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Some of you have moved in your life. I remember when our church moved buildings 10 years ago and we were in a building previously that we knew was not going to be our long-term home. And so even though it had no doors because it was an old furniture building and it was very echoey, we didn't want to put the money in to put doors on. And even though the paint was peeling all around the building, we didn't want to spend the money to put the paint on because we knew it was a temporary place. It was not our permanent home. And this world is not your home And so, just like if you were to move, it wouldn't make sense to sink all your money into the place you're leaving. This is the place that you're going to be. You're not going to be here forever. There will be new heavens and new earth. What good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? All the things that seem so real will vanish in the light of eternity. He says, as a dream when one awakens. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, Paul says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is why I talk about when we gather together, It's like we're doing vision correction, right? We're correcting your vision here because all week you've been walking around thinking that what you see is real and God is so far away. And then you come into the sanctuary to be reminded that this world and all that you see is passing away. But God is eternal. And the things of God are eternal and last forever. And when Asaph enters the sanctuary, he gains an eternal perspective that helps to Dispel his envy and help him to trust again in God. And as it says in Proverbs 23, 17 to 18, do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. I hope that as you've entered this place, that you've gained an eternal perspective, that you've been reminded This world is not all there is. That all that seems to glitter out there is not gold that's going to last forever. It's all going to fade away. But God will be there 
forever. The second perspective he gains is a grace perspective as he enters the sanctuary. Remember in the beginning, this was the equation he had in his head. I'm following God, therefore I should experience the blessings of life. They're not following God, therefore they should experience terrible things. And what I see doesn't seem to line up with that. I'm trying to follow God and I don't feel like it's paying off. They're not, they don't care about God and they seem to be doing just fine. But as he enters the sanctuary, he gains a grace perspective. He says this, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. He realizes that he was senseless and stupid. He's not just some like paragon of virtue who deserves all these good things to flow his way. He is a sinner. He is mistaken. He is flawed. He's a brute beast. His heart was grieved. His spirit embittered. He was senseless and ignorant. He is in need of God's grace. Everything that is good in his life is not something he deserved and he earned by his good works. It's a gift of God's grace to someone who did not deserve it. Remember, he says, my, my flesh and my heart may fail, but you're the strength of my heart, my portion forever. I fail all the time, he says. I'm senseless, I'm ignorant, and everything that I have is a gift from you. It's not about what you earn. It's not about what God owes you because of your good works and your good life. Do you understand that? It's not what it's about. It's not about I've earned these things. Where are you, God? The book of Job is the book that certainly tries to encapsulate that. The most righteous man who ever lived, experiencing such terrible tragedies. It's grace. It's all grace. If you go through this life thinking that God owes you, that you've earned somehow favor, that you deserve it because of your goodness, you're mistaken And as Asaph enters the sanctuary, not only gains this eternal perspective, but I think he also gains this perspective of grace. Before a holy God, as he sees the place of sacrifice, the altar, and all of that that's in the sanctuary, recognizing it's not about what we earn and what we deserve. It is about his grace, his mercy, that everything that we have is a gift from God. And the third perspective he gains is this. He sees that God is what his heart has really been longing for. God is what his heart has really been longing for. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. All of these things that he looked at in the world and he was envious that other people had and were experiencing, all the things that he thought that he wanted and thought that he needed, when he enters the sanctuary, he realizes that those things are not, they're not really what he's been longing for. That all of those things are pointing to the one thing, the one being, the one person that his heart is really longed for, and that's God. That everything in this world is going to pass away. It's going to break down. It's going to die. It's going to be lost. And only God remains forever. As he enters the sanctuary, 
That's what he realizes. These worldly pleasures, they may thrill for a moment, but they're going to be gone. But God is here forever. And I think what he realizes that, and I think this is important for you to reflect on in your own life, that he's been using God as a means to an end. What he really wanted was prosperity and peace and health and comfort. And when God wasn't giving him that, he got angry. Because he was using God as a means to an end. What he truly wanted was prosperity and peace and comfort and joy. And God, you're not giving this to me, but you seem to be giving it to other people. What's going on here? Is this even worth it? But then he enters the sanctuary and he realizes he's been using God. That God is the end, not the means to an end. That the joy and the prosperity and the peace that he's been looking for is not going to be found in those things and those people. It's going to be found in God. It's going to be found in him forever. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. That even if I lose everything, I have you. If I'm single, I have you. If I'm married, I have you. If I'm in a good marriage, it's just meant to point to you, Jesus. If I'm in a bad marriage, it's okay. You are my true love. If I got a big house or a small apartment or I'm homeless, my home is with you, Lord. If I'm sick or if I'm healthy, it's okay. You are my strength. If I'm loved, if I'm not loved, whatever it is, you love me, Lord. You know, even the best earthly marriage will eventually end. And it's meant to point to the love that never ends, and that's Jesus. Even the best earthly job will end, but it's meant to point to the fulfillment that you'll have forever with him. Even the best family, the best community, the best church, any of that, it's all going to fade away. But it's all meant to point to that perfect love, that perfect community you'll have forever with him. You can have all this world. Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. All the things that my heart is longing for, the fulfillment is found not in those things, it's found in him. This is what Paul realized in Philippians 3. He said, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. When you experience envy, what is that revealing about your heart? When you open up social media and you start to envy what other people have, what's going on in your heart? Is it not revealing that you're looking to something other than God to give you joy, to give you peace, to give you satisfaction? That you believe there's something else out there besides God that will fulfill you. And if you only had that, then your life would be happy. Then your life would be worth more. It's a lie. The envy is a lie. It reveals to you that you're putting your hope in something other than God. The love you're looking for, 
the beauty you're longing for, the fulfillment that you want, the safety, the security, all of it, it's found in him. It's found in God. It will be yours forever. 1 Corinthians 2.9, Paul says, As it is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus is enough. Asaph, looking out in the world, and then looking at his own life, starts to lose his faith as he envies what other people has, has as, he, as he doubts the goodness of God. But as he enters into the sanctuary, what happens? He gains an eternal perspective. This life is not all there is. He gains a grace perspective. I don't deserve life. I don't deserve good things, but everything that I have that is good is a gift, an undeserved gift from God. And he recognizes that everything he's been longing for is found in God. Whom have I in heaven but you in earth? has nothing I desire besides you. I love how Jonathan Edwards put it. He said, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature, and the enjoyment of him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, children or the company of earthly friends are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. And praise God that we get to experience those scattered beams here on earth, that we do have those moments of happiness, those moments of joy, those moments of peace. They don't always last, but we do have those moments that remind us of the goodness of God. But don't mistake those for the sun. Don't mistake those for the fountain. God is the source. God is the source of all joy. Everything that your heart is looking and longing for is found in him. So come to the sanctuary. Come worship. Come get your vision corrected. Sing again and listen to your brothers and sisters that they sing and remind you of who God is, what he has promised. Come to community. Receive the encouragement, the reminders from each other. Come to the cross. Remember the love of God displayed in the death of Jesus. The hope that we have for eternity. Enter the sanctuary with all your doubts as Asaph did. And be reminded of who he is. And come to the fountain this morning. Amen. If the worship team could come forward. Let me pray. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for doubting your goodness. That we could, that we could see your love as displayed by the death of Jesus on the cross and then say, yeah, that's not enough. And then run after other loves, other things to satisfy us. Lord, how could we be in your presence and then turn away from you? 
to go after other things and other people. Lord, captivate us this morning by your beauty, by your love, again, your goodness. Convince our hearts and remind us again that nothing in all this world can compare. Nothing is going to give us the love and the fulfillment that our hearts have longed for the way you do. That any love or fulfillment, satisfaction we do experience in this world is a gift from you meant to point us back to you as the ultimate giver of all good gifts. Lead us, Lord, into your presence this morning and captivate us by your love. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.